Welcome, everyone, to Colorado State's College of Business Institute for Entrepreneurship, RAMCAST. In this first iFree RAMCAST of many, we will be focusing on a five-episode series dedicated to exploring your side hustle and unleashing your inner entrepreneur. During each episode, we will be interviewing guests who will help us outline key questions, processes, and resources when understanding and considering becoming an entrepreneur. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for Solopreneur Episode 3, Who is My Customer? Today, we are joined by the Institute for Entrepreneurship's Director, Scott Shrake. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Hope. Happy to be here. So, Scott, in the past few episodes, uh, we went over an introduction to solopreneurship, how to leverage an MBA when talking about and thinking about this type of work. And then we talked to the audience um, and took them through a series of questions and how, how to help them identify if they're a solopreneur. So in today's episode, we want to help the audience to start thinking about who is their customer. And I know when working with my MBA and other students in the past, it seemed like this was a really simple thing for them to do. But as they started to dig and discover, um, it seemed to be a bit more complex than they had thought. So I would love to to pick your brain. I know you've um, worked with entrepreneurs. You've been an entrepreneur yourself in the past. So I'd love to dive into some questions and, and hear your expertise on those. Yeah, sounds great. Happy to help. Awesome. So, you know, we talk about this word value proposition quite a bit uh, when talking about entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. So what would you say is the most important thing they need to consider as a solopreneur when identifying a value proposition for their personal brand um, and customer uh, solution? I think the biggest aspect um, for really making sure that you're delivering something of value to your customer is really understanding what pain point or what problem you're trying to address. Uh, so a lot of people start out and think that they can be everything to everybody. Uh, and the reality is the more narrowly you can define what problem you're trying to address and who may have that problem, the better effort you're going to be, right? So it's much easier to target your messaging. It's much easier to ensure that you're you're creating value if you know exactly what value it is that you're trying to create and what your customer needs. So the way I like to think about it is what pain point, how am I making X's life easier, faster, more convenient, happier, whatever that may be, but how am I solving this problem or giving them access to something they didn't have before? Um, so that's really what I try to focus on when I'm figuring out what, what a value proposition is and, and how I should be addressing that for my customer. Great. And Scott, I know like when you, in your own entrepreneurial kind of adventure, if you will, you know, what would you find was the hardest thing in your own experience with value proposition? Oh man, product market fit is a pain. Um, if, you know, there's a couple different ways to look at it. Usually it's, I've, I've got a, um, a technology, let me find a cool problem to solve with it. Or I've encountered a problem, how do I solve this with some sort of technology or solution that other people haven't before? And I've come at it from, from both sides of the, the spectrum. Um, so identifying and articulating a pain point, say you don't have a technology, you've got a, a problem out there that you've looked at that's really bugged you, um, 
and you think it's a problem worth solving, then you can go out and talk to a whole bunch of different people, figure out if it's a problem worth solving and start to hone in on that solution uh, that may address it. And that to really say, you know, if 10 out of 10 people that I talk to say X is a problem and you think you can come up with a solution for that problem, then you've probably got a pretty good value proposition. The other side of things, if you have an interesting technology and you're like, oh, this is really cool. We developed it in a lab. How do we find people that can use this? What's the solution? What problem can we address with it? That's a little bit harder because there's so many different ways you can go with it and figuring out how do you apply it and figuring out really where the best use case is and the best beachhead. And, and beachhead means, you know, where, where the area you should establish, what market you should, you should try to set up shop in first that has the, the, the easiest roadmap to get in. Um, so yeah, I, you know, the reality is just truly identifying, is it a pain point worth solving? Do enough people have this problem that there's a, a viable business there? Um, or if, if I've got the technology side of things, is there a compelling use case for this that people are willing to pay me whatever it would cost um, to, to be a, a profitable business with this in mind? Great. Thank you. Yeah, I think that is that is the challenge, right? It's you can think you have this really amazing technology or solution and you go out and you don't understand why people aren't on board, right? And you're like, yeah. because nobody has... They don't need that. They don't want it, right? Or they don't know that they want it or need it, right? And so, yeah, I think that's really important for our listeners to understand. So thank you for that. You know, okay, so we have value proposition, right? We thought through that. Um, but, you know, what would you say are the main things to consider when you're identifying your customer? And then the second part of that is, okay, I understand who my customer is. Like, now how do I go and talk to them? Sure. Um, for the customer side of things, you're, you're going to, everything that we're doing right now, everything that you should be doing is testing a hypothesis, right? So you, you're hypothesizing that this certain individual or this, this group of individuals is going to have a problem and want to pay you to solve that problem for them. Um, so when I think about who my initial customer may be, I start with who may have this problem, right? And that starts really, really broadly. Um, very few people, very few companies, very few solutions really solve a need for everybody. So you can at least start to narrow it down a little bit. You know, my problem, say I'm, I'm making a, you know, an athletic apparel um, company for, for men. Okay. So I, I'm targeting men whose clothing, athletic clothing doesn't fit them as well as it would like, um, who doesn't want to pay for some of the premium brands. All right. So I'm, I'm thinking, Athletic guys, you know, somewhere between the ages of 20 and, and 35 um, who don't necessarily want to pay for that premium. So they're probably not super affluent. They've probably got an income below 30 or 50,000 or 70,000. So you just take a couple guesses, right? And then you, you um, start with what those guesses are and then you go and test them. You actually go talk to people who fit that demographic and see if those uh people resonate with the problem that you're, you're trying to address. And if you get a, a significant portion of them saying, yeah, this is a real problem. I wish there was a solution for it. You're getting some, some decent data that maybe that is the right demographic. If they're saying, yeah, this, that's not a problem for me. Maybe your problem's not really that big of a problem. Maybe not that something that's that important to solve, or you're talking to the wrong customer base. So then you start to play around with some of the other, you know, those defining 
attributes uh, of your potential customer archetype and talk to other people that may fit a slightly different demographic, figure out why it didn't resonate with where you thought your customer archetype was. Um, so that would be my approach for figuring out how, who is going to be my customer, right? I'm starting with some assumptions. I'm, I'm addressing this pain point that I've talked to a few people on. Uh, and then I go out and collect more and more data to figure out really if that is who I, who, if my customer is who I think it is. Now, how do I go talk to my customer? Um, the nice thing is people are pretty friendly uh, in general. You know, if you're not in the middle of, of Times Square in New York City or, or a crowded subway, people are okay to talk to you if you, if you want to go speak with them, right? So if you're developing a product, again, we'll go, we'll stick with the men's retail idea. If you're developing a product that you think um, would solve some pain points for guys who wish they athletic clothing fit them differently, go to an athletic store and talk to them. Say, hey, I'm a, uh, a CSU student or, hey, I'm a student of life, right? Uh, people are always happy to talk to students, use that use that card. And, you know, I'd just love to pick your brain for a few minutes. Um, so going to where your customers, your potential customers are already going to try to solve their problems is a really great place to start. And again, people are usually happy to talk to strangers. Uh, so don't, don't be afraid if you can uh, approach a few people, ask them for a few minutes of their time and do, do something initially to, to sit, you know, be disarming. Hey, I'm a student or Hey, I'm really interested in this area, and you seem seem like a great person to talk to, or finding some sort of common interest. Um, so I think that's a great place to get started: is figure out where those potential customers may be going to solve their problem as is, uh, and then finding them there. I love that, and I I love the idea of kind of going up to the person and making it a friendly environment. Hey, I'm a student working on this, or I'm passionate about that, you know, and, and making the other person feel more comfortable. So it's not so threatening and it isn't so awkward for both, for both people. So I think that's a great suggestion. I also, I know I've sat in on a couple of your classes and I, you had this idea of interviewing versus I think you call it showcasing. That might be the word. Um, you know, when we're talking to potential customers, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So one of, one of the things I always encourage, uh, budding entrepreneurs or, or entrepreneurs to avoid is vanity data, right? I mentioned that we've got a lot of really nice people, uh, especially if you're in the States, a lot of people are willing to talk to you and a lot of people are going to tell you what you want to hear. And so if you go out and say, you know, I've got this product for you. I know you've got this problem here. I can solve it. Isn't this a great idea? you know, wouldn't you want to buy this from me? People go, oh yeah, 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 neat. Yeah, yeah, okay, great. And you're just going to collect a whole bunch of vanity data of people that are reinforcing your preconceived notions because they want to make you feel good about yourself, right? It's really hard to break bad news to people, especially when they're really passionate about their ideas. Um, so being careful to go out and ask open-ended questions and really understand the root of that person's pain. Um, you know, you, you may be some trying to solve a problem and, and you're really solving their symptoms and not addressing the root problem. And because you've assumed that this is, you know, the problem emanates from some certain thing, but if you can ask those open-ended questions, figure out what the root of their pain is and really get to uh, the emotion of your story, you're really diving for emotion. You're trying to create empathy for this, this potential customer and putting yourself in their shoes so you can make the most valuable solution for what they have. Once you start to get to the emotional side of things, you're starting to get to the real pain point. If you'd never hit that emotion, if it's just kind of, oh yeah, that's great, then you're probably collecting vanity data. And I would really assess 
how you're asking those questions and, and what information you're looking for. Um, so be careful. One of the real things we emphasize early on, the whole point of doing these, these processes and taking these steps is to ensure you don't spend a ton of money or a ton of time building out a product or service that people don't really want. And so finding out that people don't want something is just as valuable, if not more valuable than finding out that they do. So don't put yourself in a position where you're just going to get uh, empty yeses and empty noes. That's great. And so when, if I'm out, right, I'm out talking to these customers, really asking questions that are open-ended, evoking that emotion, what would you say, like how many of these interviews should I conduct? And how do I, do you have any good best practices, if you will, on how to capture um, that information that I'm getting from them? Sure. Yeah. There's uh, a few rules of thumb. Um, you know, some people say you should do a hundred or 200 customer interviews, depending on whether it's a product or a service. Um, I, I think until you start to get to the point where you can clearly articulate a specific set of um, characteristics that ensure that you're delivering your customer, that you're targeting your customer. And that's, you know, eight out of 10 or X amount of people out of 10 are saying that, yeah, this is something that I, I need, I resonate with. So you've got a really strong confidence interval that you have a problem we're solving. And you've got a really strong confidence that the people you're solving the problem for really want what you're trying to sell. So you, you want to get away from that N equals one phenomenon of, yeah, my mom or my grandma said this is the coolest thing ever. Uh, and, and get to the point where, yeah, actually 75 out of the 100 people I talked to said this is a pain point that they address and they would be open to solutions in this space. And then you had a second question there, and I, I don't think I remember it. Um, now I've, you've gone, asked the right people, you've done a couple of hundred, you know, uh, interviews. How do I capture all that information? That seems a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, even just capturing that information is valuable, right? So. Uh, I create a spreadsheet anytime I'm, I'm out vetting a new potential product or service or thinking about jumping into a new venture. I create a spreadsheet that documents every one of my interviews, who I talked to, where I talked to them, uh, what questions I asked, any major findings from that, and then any unexpected findings. And then I do that for all the interviews and, and pay attention to those unexpected findings because the unexpected findings are oftentimes, uh, they'll take you down a more interesting and potentially more valuable path. Um, right now, you know, during, during the, uh, I guess we'll call it the age of COVID, a lot of these interviews are going to be taking place remotely. And if you can find people that are willing to talk with you, uh, you can speci specifically ask, say, hey, I'd love it if I could actually record this uh, interview, if that's not a problem. Uh, I'd love to go back and, um, you know, take some notes on it later. Um, or if there's two of you, you know, hoping that um, we get back to a relative norm sooner than later, having a partner go out and actually capturing the notes with you so you can be focused on the interviewing is really helpful. Um, a lot of the big pieces that you pull from an interview are some of the nonverbal signs. And if you're busy you know, sc scribbling down or typing down everything you can that this person's saying, you're not picking up on some of their nonverbal cues. So if you have the opportunity to, to go and interview with another person, fantastic. If not, just at least make sure you're capturing notes and, and writing down the big takeaways. Great. Thank you. That's incredibly helpful. I was just thinking, wow, 100 to 200 interviews, right? And how do you capture all that information? So that's really, really helpful to me and to the listeners. I think that will be, that will be great for them. So thank you for that. 
Yeah. And I want to clarify something really quickly. It, it doesn't need to be an hour interview, right? Mm. I, three to five minutes is probably fantastic. So when I'm saying a hundred interviews, that, that might be five to six hours of your time, uh, or it could be 10 hours of your time if you get some really quality ones. Um, so don't be completely alarmed by, oh my God, I have to go get a hundred interviews. This is going to take so long. Um, one, it, it will take a little while and that's worth it because if you're doing this right and you're interested in it, this, this business could take you many, many, many years. So you might as well do it right in the first place. But two, uh, it probably won't take as long for you to pick up on some interesting patterns uh, as you think it will. Great. Now that's a great clarification. Thank you. Yeah. Going out hour, two hour, you know, I don't think anybody. Really yeah. Wants it's not 60 to- minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, although that could be fun too, but your uh, customer might get a little bored with you. I mean, not you. Yeah, but- the interrogations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Thank you for that. Um, have you ever run across this idea where there are different needs for different customers or segments? And if so, is there like a framework that you use uh, to think through that? Sure. Um, yeah, it happens all the time. So figuring out what your different customer archetypes are. So you may have a specific product or solution that does solve problems for multiple people across multiple segments. Um, you know, they're all essentially using the same product or same tool, but they're using it for different reasons, right? And so those are different customer archetypes. Um, and I I leak lump each one of those customer archetypes um, into a different basket to say, here's the pain point that I'm addressing. Here's the value that I'm creating for them. And here's some of the um, details about their persona or their, their archetype. Um, I'm a big proponent of using design thinking to address as a tool to address whether you're really hitting the needs and the wants of your potential customers or not. Uh, so I think design thinking is a fantastic framework to help you work through the, making sure the humans at the middle of this, making sure that you're designing something that's needed, making sure you've got empathy for the people that are around it, making sure you really understand who you're developing for and why. Because some of those customers, again, they'll be using the same product, but there might be a different hook that keeps them attached to, to using your product or service. So really understanding the psychology behind why people are making those decisions, why your customers are, are trying to use X, Y, or Z for, to solve their problem as is. Um, so, you know, diving into design thinking and, and IDEO has a, a lot of great tools out there um, to dive in for design thinking. Strategizer is another fantastic uh, tool for looking at the customer interviewing and customer discovery side of piece and starting to think about your different customer archetypes. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I think empathy uh, being a huge component there, right? Keeping the customer in the center as you're iterating and going through this process is incredibly important. And then really defining those those archetypes, because I know I've heard you say this a few times, right? It's They can look different, right? And they can be, there could be several different archetypes and who do you really want to go after and for what reason? So um, I think that's great advice. So thank you for that. Um, you know, I want to, okay, so I, I understand who my customer is or I'm, I'm getting there. Um, but now I need to start thinking about the resources I need in order to, to get going. And I know oftentimes we just think about revenue, right? I got to get this business up and going. I, I just have to think about revenue streams. But are there other components that our listeners should consider as they build out their business? 
Yeah, so I think um, key your key resources and sort of the, the what your competition's doing go hand in hand, right? So, um, yeah, a lot of times when I have first time entrepreneurs come come to my door, they say, "I've got this amazing idea. Uh, can you just connect me with some investors?" And once they give me money, this thing's a home run. Um, what a lot of startups realize, though, is it wasn't just money that they needed to be successful. Um, and investors have become far, far, far more significant, uh, not significant, significant in some ways, yes, but far more informed, sophisticated than they were 10, 15 years ago when you know it was uh, easy to, to get seed rounds of investment. It's a little bit more difficult now because people realize you need to have a great team. You need to have uh, a strong moat. And, and so a moat is how you can protect yourself and whether that's intellectual property or just being the first one out ahead or some other pieces. Um, but some of the key resources that I would encourage people to understand are team. So say you, you want to build a really cool tech product. You've got this amazing idea, uh, but you have no tech background at all. You got to figure out how you're going to get that built. And it's not as easy as just saying, well, yeah, I'll, I'll hire a tech guy. Well, you just said you don't have any money. Uh, and if you hire the tech guy or girl, um, you know, how are you going to know the work that they're doing is quality and what, what's your plan for that moving forward? So be very cognizant of where your strengths and weaknesses are and understand that just having the competent team to execute is one of the best resources you can have. Uh, and if that comes financially fantastic, you can also do equity based and bring in some co-founders. Um, other resources. What's your competition doing? You know, do did they have twenty million dollars to get going and already are, you know, selling across every state in the country? Can you really compete with that? What would you need to compete with that? Are and are those things attainable? Right? Are you setting up a big manufacturing process? How do you set that up? How do you ensure quality control? How do you set up the sales teams? So um, being very honest with yourself and recognizing, okay. Here's the skill sets that I bring to this. What am I missing? What else do we need? And what are my competitors doing to make sure that we can get out in front of them? Um, if you're if you're software, it's it's a lot easier because you're just doing a bunch of different code iterations. If you're building a hardware product or a service or a restaurant, um, you know those things could all become much more expensive, much more quickly. And getting into those spaces is a lot more challenging. So I, I think there's a lot of different key resources that are out there, know-how, uh, team dynamics, intellectual property. Um, so figuring out what of those you have that's specific to you that puts you in a good place to be competitive with whatever else is out there is pretty important. And it's not just money. Yeah, I want to build off that idea that you just talked about a little bit around competitors. Um, so I know researching competitors is really important, um, but it, sometimes that seems a little a little overwhelming. Um, you know, so do you have a f effective ways that you go about that? What variables um, should our listeners consider when they start to think about how to research um, and landscape out those competitors? Yeah, that's a great question. Your your best tool is Google to start. So just Google the problem that you're trying to solve and see what comes up. Um, no matter what you're doing, whether you think you have a competitor or not, you have one. And somehow, some way, people are solving this problem already. So figuring out how people are addressing the problem that you're trying to solve 
whether it's elegant or not, you know, that's, that's what you can figure out, whether it's the best solution or not, that's what you can figure out. Um, but somehow they're solving, they're meeting their needs with this um, in, in almost 99% of cases, right? So step one, Google it, do a quick search, figure out what else is out there. Step two, go back to the beginning of the, this conversation and really focus in on that value proposition. So what I like to do is I create a, an axis with listing my value proposition on both the x-axis and the y-axis, right? So it's a different value proposition for both. Am I the fastest? Am I the quickest? Am I the most online? Am I the easiest? Whatever I think that I'm doing better than those competitors are. So I'll, I'll put my axes in whether it's speed or any of those things that I listed. And I'll take anyone else that I Googled that's in that space, graph them on the, that set of axes for those two things that I'm talking about, those two value props that I'm I'm hitting and see where I really fall among the competition. So I can figure out, do I have what I think I have? Is my competition falling short the way that I think they are? And is there really a space for me in this field? Because if you graph it and it turns out that that whole ax set of axes is completely covered with competition and you don't have, you're not, you know, one of the best or, or the most efficient on whatever your value propositions are, it may not be the best idea to go that space. But if you're seeing a big gap, right, if no one's doing this online yet, or if uh, everyone's offering this at 10x the cost that you are, then maybe there's a, an opportunity for you there. Um, I do want to caution that, that you know, digital and cost aren't the only two things that you can compete on. Those aren't your only two value propositions. But, but map out what you think you are capable of competing on and then graph all of your competitors on there. And then the step after that that I love to do is create a business model canvas. It's a fantastic tool. Uh, create a business model canvas for all of your competitors that you think are really um, in the same space as you are and see where you think their weaknesses are to see if you again can compete in there. So I like to start very broad, just a Google search, then narrow it down a little bit, graph my competitors on what I think the major value prop I have is, and then take it to that final step of, I'm gonna build out a business model canvas for all of my competitors, see if, where I compete. Can I compete on supply chain? Can I compete on marketing? Can I compete on costs? Can I compete on talent? But making sure that I have what I need to be competitive in that space. Thank you. Wow, Scott, you are a amazing um, asset to today's show. You're a wealth of knowledge. Um, so we really appreciate all your time today and walking our listeners through um, how to really think about who their customer is how to discover those archetypes, that competitive landscape, and those resources, not just revenue that they need to be thinking about. So thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I We covered a lot of ground in a really short amount of time. So if there's a lot of buzzwords or jargon that are in there, don't be discouraged. Uh, you pick it up pretty quickly and just start talking with people. Um, and, I, and sign up for some of our programs and we'll make sure that you've got the the mentorship that you need to be guided through step-by-step. Step. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today for another episode of Solopreneur. Uh, in our next episode, we're going to start and dig into um, that focus of how do I actually start being a solopreneur, right? So I understand uh, being a customer and, and um, at this point, but next will be how do I start? What are those um, checklist items, if you will, uh, that I need to get going? So thank you again, Scott, for your time. We really appreciate it.